How do you help struggling family and friends without losing your own life? Hi, welcome to another episode of Business Mindset Mastery. My name is Heather Gray, and I'm a mindset coach for business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You are going to have to excuse my scratchy throat today. I've been on calls um, and trainings all day, and it probably isn't the best idea to also do a podcast, but I have a really good question that somebody sent, and it's already been sitting on my desk for several days, and I just had to jump in and dive in. So bear with the scratchy voice, because we've got something good coming your way. It's about the idea that as business owners and leaders and entrepreneurs, we are often called to be all the things or do all the things for all of the people. How do we stay present for ourselves and our own desires for our lives and our businesses while also being willing to help reach out and support people and family members and friends who might also be struggling? It can be really hard finding the balance. It can feel impossible knowing which boundaries need to be set and which boundaries can wait. It's hard to find your way when you love the people you're talking about. So let's dive into today's question because I'm going to help you sort it all out. Here we go. Hi, Heather. At this time of year, we're all a little distracted from our everyday lives or businesses and spending time with our loved ones, both near and far. This year, I was thrilled to spend Christmas with my parents and siblings for the first time in nine years. And as much as we all get along just fine, I always leave these interactions with a plethora of baggage and wonder what your take on it is. There are two what I'm deeming to be separate things going on. First, my parents. They're in their early 60s, and they simply don't have their shit together. My mom is disabled. My father is an overworked business owner. Their lives and house are a mess. They seem to be living lives that are lacking in direction. They're not particularly moving towards retirement or simplifying their lives, and I find it incredibly frustrating to be around them. Nothing is ever changing or better. So I do, do I let them be? Do I quietly go back cross country and just make the best of the time we have together when we see each other? Do I rock the boat? It took me three years of gentle nagging to pu finally push them to actually get wills. That was the one thing I felt was my business to push on. I'm pretty opinionated and apt to saying what I'm thinking, but we all get along reasonably well. How much value is there in rocking that boat? Is it any of my business, really? Second, my brother. He's 10 years younger than me, and we have a very open and communicative relationship. He answers my questions honestly, and we share a lot of personal details about our lives that I think isn't part of the usual sibling dynamic, and I really appreciate that. And I really like my brother. He's funny, kind-hearted guy. But in the last few years, he was diagnosed with OCD, ADD, depression, and anxiety. Hearing him truthfully answer my questions about how he's doing or what he's going through is hard to hear because I simply don't suffer from any of the debilitating constraints that he does. And by nature, I want to help. Contrary to the situation with my parents, I know that he's open to having me be helpful, but I don't really know how or what to do. Is it weekly check-ins? Is it pushing him to find the doctor that needs to get him the prescription that he and his depression and anxiety um, can be allowed to lapse, for example? Or do I stay on the, my side of the country and let him live his life and figure out things for himself? What would be constructive but not intrusive to my already busy life. Heather, thanks in advance for your insights. You make my business life better. Now please work your magic in my personal life. Okay. We've all been there at some point in time or another, right? We've all known how much is too much to do and what isn't enough. And how do we find that answer? 
There's no straight path. We can only find our way and do our best with what we've got and with our own intentions. I've got your back in this right on the other side of this break. We'll be diving in deep. Get ready. I tend to agree with you. I do think that the issue with your parents and with your brother are two separate scenarios that you have to kind of find your way in. Um, they might be linked or interlinked at times, but the question you're really asking is how do I help people who aren't really asking for help but obviously need it? And then where are the boundaries of the help I can offer to somebody who needs and wants it, but I may not be the best person to offer it? I do think you have two questions here. So let's tackle the one with your parents first, and then we'll tackle the one with your brother. And as we talk together, you'll probably figure out where the two intercept a little bit. But with your parents, you have to see the whole picture, right? That's what you're forced to see when you go home for the holidays. So you see the disorder in their house, you see the sort of chaotic way they live their lives, how they make decisions, the lack of planning they might have around certain things, the over-attention on other things that don't really matter. You tend to see it all. And my story is, is when you're cross country from them, you kind of know it's there, you imagine it's there, you're aware of it, but it's not in your face. And when it's in your face, you feel compelled to do something about it. Sometimes when you're cross country, you're going to feel compelled to do something about it. But the reality is, is we cannot help people who are not asking for it or don't want it without their permission. So the first thing you have to decide before you talk to them, before you engage in any conversation with them, is walk yourself through the conversation with yourself about how much energy you have, how much you would actually be willing to do to help their situation. You want a sense of your own internal boundary around this, how many conversations you're willing to have, how much time you're willing to commit, any financial assistance you're willing to offer to solve the problem. You want to know where you land and what your line is and what your boundary is before you even talk to them. You also want to get crystal clear on your why. Why are you bringing this up? Are you imagining that they're suffering? Are you imagining that their way of being is compromising their ability to live life well? Are you imagining pain that they're actually feeling? Or are you just imagining pain you would be feeling in that situation? Because a lot of people can live in chaos. What you're identifying for yourself is that you can't. So witnessing their chaos is causing you pain. So before you walk into that scenario, you have to acknowledge for yourself how uncomfortable you're willing to be because that's the path you're going to choose. That you can't control whether or not you start a conversation and they accept your help. You can't control whether or not you bring something up and they participate in it. The only part of this scenario that you have control over is your role in it. 
And what I would suggest is it sounds like you made this path and you followed this decision-making path and plan when the topic of wills came up. You knew that if they had some sort of health crisis or in the awful event, if they passed away without a will, you knew you would be cleaning up that mess. You knew you would be managing, your brother too, would be managing the state of their affairs. You didn't want that responsibility. You wanted them to be able to decide what to do with whatever assets they've accumulated and the settling of their estate, so you push that. I would ask you to do the same thing again. What is, are you looking at that's causing you distress that not speaking up on isn't working for you? What do you feel your silence is giving you permission is giving them permission to do or to live. What part of not talking isn't working? That's where you want to start the conversation. Next, you want to think about what do you need them to know? Because not speaking up is also feeling to you like they may not know that you want to help or they may not know that you're interested in helping, or they might think that they're alone in this because you guys are, you know, separated in cross country. So what's important for them to know? What do you need them to know about what you've been thinking, what you've been feeling, and what's on your mind? Because you may not have to go in with a problem-solving approach. You may be able to say, hey, after visiting you, I saw that your house, you know, was, was hard to clean and was hard to manage. I imagine that's because of mom's disability and dad, you're kind of, you know, balancing both. I was wondering and worried that, like, you didn't know that I'd be willing to help with that. I was worried that you didn't think that I saw it or I wasn't aware of how hard things were. What do you need them to know? What do you want them to be aware of? Because you may see everything, but there may be only 20 or 25% of it that you actually feel like you need to address with them. But you want to get clear on what is your worry about not speaking up. And it might simply be that you feel a responsibility as a daughter to speak up and you need to say that out loud. But whatever you do, you have to recognize first that you get to set the first boundary. The next boundary is theirs to set. Whatever you end up offering, whatever conversation you end up putting out there, whatever assistance you end up you know, putting out there, they get to have their own boundary and their own value, and they very well may shut the door. Given the struggle you mentioned in getting them to build a will, my guess is you know you're in for it. So the first question again has to be, how much energy and gas do you have in the tank for this fight? How much value is it in you to have that conversation? And where do you think you begin and they begin? And where do you end and where do they end? You want to know that fine line so you know how far you're going to go before your responsibility ends and there begins. And you know that they may be resistant. And it sounds like you're anticipating that so you're not sure if it's worth the fight simply because you see them in the struggle. I think it's okay to tell them what you want them to know. 
I see that you're hurting. I see that life is hard. I hope you know it doesn't have to be that way. If you ever need my help or want my two cents or my point of view, I want you to know that I'm here. It reminds me a little bit of a time that one of my closest friends was in a really bad marriage and I could see, tell, and smell, and every radar on my body was going off that the reason why she was managing clinical depression was because she was married to somebody that wasn't the right fit for her. She shouldn't have been married to this person. I didn't believe it was a relationship that could be saved. I didn't think that, like, it was do not pass go, do not collect $200, get a divorce, and you won't be depressed anymore. And knowing her and knowing him and having extensive history with both of them, I knew that like I knew my name. And it can sound presumptuous to say, because who am I to say it? But that's how it was for me. And because I didn't think it was any of my business, because I didn't think that I had any say in the situation, for the longest time, I kept my mouth shut. And then it got to the point where participating in that friendship without saying that felt like a lie. So that's what I said. I see that you're hurting. I see that you're in pain. I really want to help you, but I think you have to look at a really hard truth about your relationship and about your life. If you want to have that conversation with me, I really want to have it with you, but I can't do that for you and I can't force you to have it. I just want you to know that I love you. I care about you. I see the writing on the wall and I will keep you company while you read it. I worked really hard on the messaging and to communicate what I said and meant what I said, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how we got to the other side of it. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I talk a lot about communicating transparently. And that's what I think is called for here. Even before you offer anything specific to help any rescue efforts you might be putting into place, but to communicate transparently, what is it that you want them to know that you're thinking, feeling, and worrying about? And give them space to answer. And make sure you promise yourself that their first reaction out of the gate, that isn't where they're going to land and it won't be where you land. But when you put your best foot forward and they snap at you or they reject your idea, or they shut you down, it might feel bad. So you want to protect yourself from it, but you want to recognize that when you look at the situation you're looking at, you're usually looking at piles and piles of resistance and piles and piles of denial. That's why it was so hard for you to get them to deal with the will. That's why it's going to get, be hard for you to get them to deal with anything else that you're worrying about or seeing that they're struggling with. So you want to remind yourself that you're choosing the marathon, not the race. So the first talk isn't going to be the last talk. And if they meet you with resistance and denial, that doesn't mean they're resisting you or denying you. That's why I walked you through the question of how much energy do you have for this? How much gas do you have in your tank for it? Because if they're not coming to you with a problem, if they're not saying we need your help, you're largely going to be managing an uphill battle. You might decide that it doesn't work 
work for you. It doesn't sit in your bones and in your skin not to walk that mile uphill in the wind against you. But you want to know that you've chosen it and you've done it mindfully because that's the only part you can control. And that way, if they do acknowledge some insecurities, if they do acknowledge some worries they have, some places where they don't feel competent or confident, you will be able to help them because you've already prepared yourself with possible ways you might do that. You've already set yourself up for success by having that conversation with yourself before ever bringing it up with them. And that's the critical step. That way you feel confident calm and collected and in control of having that conversation. And now we got to look at your brother because it's the flip side, right? It's every single time you talk about it, he's more than willing to talk about it. And he'll tell you all the ins, all the outs, all the details. And sometimes it can be so much information that you don't know where he ends and you begin and where your responsibility ends in this. And I have to tell you, and you know this already, I'm sure, there's no firm line. There's no, this is where he ends and this is where you begin. The process of boundary setting is always going to be largely universal. It's good. I mean, it's largely individual, not largely universal. We all have to decide that for ourselves. And sometimes we're going to find it when we give too much of ourselves and we feel drained and burdened. Sometimes we're going to feel it when we realize we've been skating easily and everything's been clear sailing and somebody in our life is struggling and we should have shown up more. So there's not going to be a firm line, but you have to be willing to check in with yourself. How much time felt like too much time? How much like passive listening without problem solving felt like it was becoming a burden to me. And the first thing, just like with your parents, you're going to want to ask yourself, how much gas do I have in the tank for this? How much time and energy do I have? How much am I willing to do? And then just like with your parents, you want to communicate transparently to your brother. I love you. I care about you. I recognize your struggle. I really want to be there for you. I'm so glad and relieved we talk about these things, but I don't want to set you up to think that I can rescue you because you and I both know that I can't. So before we get into a regular way of dealing with the struggles you're having, let me tell you what I think I can do and let me tell you what I don't think I'm going to be able to do. If you let your brother know the boundary, then you're both operating within that and you don't feel bad for like calling, you know, calling it a day. Start there. See how you land. It's my experience when we're working around issues of boundaries with people who are able to engage in the conversation like your brother, it's okay to say out loud, this is trial and error. I really want to be there for you. I like the idea of offering weekly check-ins, but I don't know if that's always going to be possible. And I'm worried about creating a dependency where you're going to rely on my weekly check-ins and I'm not always going to be able to offer it. But this is what I'd like to see happen. And can you engage with me on that? 
because he can tell you what he needs because you're in conversation with him, because he's willing to have these conversations with you. You can ask him in a perfect world, what does support look like with your particular struggles, with the things that you manage? I'm finding myself imagining what would be helpful without really knowing. Can you let me know what's been helpful, what hasn't been helpful, and see if we can come up together for a support plan that makes sense and works for both of us because I love our relationship. I love that we talk about these things and I want to keep talking about them, but I never want to be like sort of presumptuous or condescending in my manner with you. And I certainly don't want to feel like I'm responsible for you because that's not going to work for either of us. Can you engage in a conversation with me about it? And that's how I would, I would do the dance. I would recognize that you're both probably going to figure this out because at some point in time, he's going to overshare and you're going to be overwhelmed. And other times you're going to be, he's going to undershare and you're going to feel worried. He might be asking you things that you're not able to offer or you're not able to accommodate and you're going to have to deal with saying no. But if you engage in transparent communication, if you just keep the dialogue open, the two of you can figure this out together and you don't have to have all of the answers predetermined and predecided for yourself. But it only works when you know where you end and he begins for yourself before you have that conversation. Because if he's asking more than you're willing to give, you have to know that for yourself and be able to have that hard conversation with him. And it's not always cut and dry. Now, the other thing that I think is really important for you to know about is the shrink perspective on his pile of diagnoses, because you're looking at a lot with him. You're looking at OCD, ADD, depression, and anxiety. And a lot of those are interchangeable. And telling anyone that they suffer from four different mental health conditions is really I, not what I would call my best clinical judgment. I think very a very small subset of our population actually carries four different mental health diagnoses. A lot of the symptoms in each of these, OCD and ADD, resemble each other. And anxiety can present in a really agitated state, which also reads as OCD and ADD. So I want to get clear with you that he may not be as sick as four diagnoses sound, because that sounds like overdiagnosing. It sounds like a clinician or a series of clinicians who are trying to cover their own behinds by overdiagnosing. The other thing that happens, and a lot of people don't know this when it comes to psychopharm medication, is sometimes patients need to carry certain diagnoses in order to validate the prescription and the reason for the prescription. And this comes up a lot with PTSD. There are some medications, for example, that are really helpful for PTSD, 
but they don't, they're not like historically treated for PTSD. So you almost end up having to diagnose the person with that in order to be able to prescribe the meds. So sometimes doctors label these diagnoses simply because a certain medication will treat the specific symptom, but they don't actually have the full, full blown disorder. It would be really helpful for you to get a little bit of psychoeducation around that. And if you have specific questions, you and I can certainly talk about it. Send me another email and let me know and I'll give you the information you need. But don't get overwhelmed by the barrage of overdiagnosing. Just think about your brother and what he's dealing with. It can be really overwhelming when you hear somebody that you love and care about and worry about tell you that they have four different mental health conditions. I can understand the questioning around what do I do, how can I help, how can I possibly be enough, and oh my God, if I'm enough for this person, what am I giving up for myself? I think that's a journey that you're going to have to explore as you two continue to have dialogue about this. But that being said, I also think it's okay for you to recognize that without being a trained mental health professional, there are going to be limits to how you can support and how you can help and how you can um, be present, particularly if he's not going to also invite you to be in a problem-solving role. Because myself, for example, I had years of operating a business as a mental health professional, offering therapy in my brick-and-mortar private therapy practice. And part of my responsibility as a professional was to understand that I could bring a horse to water, but I can't make them drink. That clients have the right to self-determination. That clients can hear what they need to do, be told the direction they need to take, and they might still not take it. That's the cost of doing business is in like my role, right? Is that like I can give advice as a therapist, but I can't force my clients to do it against their will. It's a little different when you're not a trained professional because it becomes a boundary issue. Because at some point in time, if somebody's showing you that they have an open wound and it's bleeding, you are going to want to offer a Band-Aid. You are going to want to offer a solution. And it's fair to, to tell your brother that, yes, I want to know. Yes, I want to support you. But no, I can't just aimlessly listen to your complaints, your struggles, your issues, and then be paralyzed in my ability to help and offer solutions. Solutions. If you want to share with me, I really want to hear it. But that also means that your sister isn't leaving this situation. And you know your sister enough to know that she has an opinion and she's going to tell you what she thinks and she's going to tell you where to go and she's going to tell you how to get there. Because that's who I am. And that's how you introduced yourself to me in your letter. So that's what your brother already knows you to be. So I think it's fair to set the expectation that you don't get to just watch the train wreck and keep your mouth shut. That if he's choosing to share with you, if he's choosing to ask you for help, if he's choosing to lean on you, that part of that also means you are going to be sharing an opinion. And at some point in time, if you are sharing opinion after opinion, solution after solution, and he is not taking you up on it, it may become too painful to watch. It may become the train wreck 
that you need to walk away from and look away from. And it's so much easier to have that conversation and set that expectation out at the onset, that he is not expected to listen to every single thing you say about what he should do, that he does still have the right to self-determination. He still has the ability to chart his own course, be the captain of his own ship and the driver of his own car, just like you've heard me tell you that you can do for you. But that being said, he needs to know that it causes you pain and suffering if he's just presenting you with problems and he's not going to allow you to help with the solution. That that becomes unfair to ask of somebody and that's what he ends up asking of you if he's only allowed to vent his misery and you don't get to participate in the conversation around recovery. The other thing is, is he doesn't know what he doesn't know. His lens is being limited and blocked by his depression and his anxiety. He is not seeing potential where you see it because the voice of his depression is telling him not to believe in it, that it's not worth trying. So part of it is when he's talking to you, a way of managing that conversation is to ask him, is that my brother talking or is that my depression, his depression talking? Is that my de brother talking or is that his anxiety talking? And sometimes when you remove his sort of resistance and you make it about his depression or his anxiety, he can have an easier time hearing you and you can have an easier time having the conversation. This is messy stuff and it's going to feel messy for you. But the most important thing is that you get clear on where you end and your parents begin, on where you end and your brother begins, that you don't start to define your life or your self-perception as being responsible, being the rescuer because of survivor's guilt. Because when you're watching your family struggle and you're sitting in a place where you're pretty okay, it's hard sometimes to manage the guilt or the sense of responsibility that comes from that. And there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do until you're in relationship with people who want to participate in that process with you. So you're going to show up as openly as you can, as positively as you can, as honestly as you can, and then they're going to have to decide. You're going to have to accept that there's limits to how much you can help, that you can't risk drowning yourself trying to save them, and that the way isn't always going to be clear. It's sometimes going to be messy. You're going to take a wrong turn. You're going to over-involve um, yourself or you're going to under-involve yourself and you're going to deal with the natural consequence of either choice. You'll find your way, but you'll communicate transparently about it. So people know what you're thinking, know what you're feeling, what you're willing to do, and what you're not willing to do. And they're going to know your boundaries. And then they get to decide accordingly. What's happening for you right now and where you're stuck a little bit right now is you're trying to manage this for them internally. You're trying to imagine how you might help your parents without including them in the conversation. How can you support your brother without including him in the conversation? And this requires dialogue. It requires reciprocity and it requires a give and take. What you're learning with your parents is they may not participate in that process 
and you're going to have to manage that for yourself. What you're learning with your brother is that the weight of responsibility that comes with knowing his struggle and hearing his hurts may require some adjustment for you, may require some time to process, and that you may need a set of eyes and ears on the problem other than yours. So you're going to share that with him, that you're not the trained professional, that he needs a trained professional to consult on. He needs somebody to offer him a way out of this. But at the end of the day, it will come down to his right to self-determination. And then you get to decide your boundary accordingly. It is not a clear, distinct path but you can create one for yourself by being open and willing to participate in the process. I'm really glad you reached out. I think this is an important conversation. I think you touched on something a lot of listeners battle with. It is really hard to navigate boundaries. It's hard to know when to be helpful, when to pull back, when to show up, and when to dial it back. And that gets messy. I applaud your courage for being able to sit in the mess and for asking yourself the hard questions and sitting with the tough answers. And I want you to know that I think your question probably helped a number of our listeners that are listening in on our dialogue today. Thanks so much for reaching out. And if anybody listening has a question, wants my two cents on their situation like I offered here, please do keep the conversation going. I think it makes for a great podcast and I would love to help you with your two cents. You can find me over at heather at choosetohaveitall.com. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Bye for now.